This morning we are going to uh, move from Genesis, I jump to Acts, Acts chapter 26, verses 1 through 20, and I titled this message, What is Your Testimony? Friends, when you go and look in the mirror, look at yourself, I can't answer that for you. What is your testimony? What is your witness for the Lord? And only you can answer that. Paul gave his testimony many times. But I picked Acts chapter 26 to share Paul's testimony. 26 verses 1 through 20. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all things of which I am accused of by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. So now he's going to get into his personal testimony. He says, My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem. So he is identifying that he is a Jew. I spent it among my own nation at Jerusalem. All the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictness, the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. So again, that's his personal testimony. I was a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of the law. So he's letting them know who he is, what he was. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify. Oh, I already read that. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To the promise, to this promise, our twelve tribes earnestly serve God night and day, hope to attain for this hope's sake, King Rippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of, the, many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities." While thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And we had, when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, 
that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Friends, there's no other way but to be sanctified by faith in Jesus. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting of repentance. May God add his blessings to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. Rosanna, can I call on you to pray? You want the mic? I got one. Okay. Father, we just thank you so much for being with us today, for um, just gathering us into your presence um, here and, and every day, and uh, just for building a community of, of believers and a church in your name. We ask that you just um, anoint uh, Dad as he's bringing us the message today. Uh, we ask that you anoint our ears, that we will hear the truth that you would have us to uh, absorb today and to um, just take it and, and just kind of ingest it and put it into our spirits and our souls and our hearts and our minds. We ask that you um, just help us to walk worthy of the calling that you put on all our lives, that we will have that testimony for you and that we will give it without fear um, in every every situation um, that we may encounter in life, knowing that uh, our first and foremost calling is to be your child. Yes. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Friends, the Apostle Paul was a great theologian, a great preacher. He had the ability to woo any audience with the vast knowledge that this man had attained. He studied under Gamaliel, who was recognized as a Pharisee doctor of the Jewish law. Gamaliel was a man that was held in great esteem by all the Jews and considered one of the greatest teachers of the Jewish law. And the Apostle Paul studied under him. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 1, verses 13 and 14, he says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. He says, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. My friends, he was at the top of his class. Probably the best student that Gamaliel had ever had. He was that zealous to learn and that zealous for the Jewish law. He had vast knowledge. He was a theologian. He could have wooed them with all of this knowledge. He could have dazzled them with that knowledge. But instead, what did he do? He gave him his testimony. Because he knew that there's tremendous power in the words of a personal testimony. That's what he shared with the king. He could have dazzled him, but he gave him his personal testimony of what Jesus did for him, through him. Testimony can never take the place of preaching or teaching. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, that it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. But personal testimony, friends, personal testimony empowers the word preached. And every single person that has been converted Every person that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be willing to tell their story. 
what the Lord has done for him or her, for you. Should be willing to tell what the Lord has done. Each one has a story to tell. Each one has a testimony. When you look in that mirror, you have a testimony for the Lord. Psalms 107.2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. So friends, if you're redeemed, let's say so. Share that testimony. Acts 4, verses 18-20 through 20 says, So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Peter's saying, we can't help it. We can't help to speak, but to speak of the things that the Lord has done for us. It's we can't. We have to share it. We have to share what the Lord has done in our lives. He has redeemed us. We must share that. And we must share it with others. In the very next chapter of Acts, chapter 5, you know, the apostles, they told, they commanded them, don't, go, don't speak in that name anymore. And sent them away. But they continued, continued to preach Christ, continued to share what Christ has done. And they continued to perform many signs and wonders. So much so that many people were being converted, many Jews were being converted, and they were no longer going to the Jewish synagogue, but they was going to the Christian church. Here in Paul, or I mean Peter and John teach. The Sadducees became outraged. Because all these people were not showing up, right? So they went and they laid hands on the apostles and they put them in prison for preaching Christ. Then in Acts chapter 5, we pick up at verse 26, it says, Then the captain went with the officers. Well, let me, I got ahead of myself. The Lord delivered them from prison. He undid the shackles that held them in prison, opened the doors, they walked out of the prison. So they're right back out there preaching. So they're like, where did they go? The next morning they're like, where did they go? So they come looking for them. They went and found them. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to the right hand to be Prince and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we, we are His witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people. And he commanded them to put the apostles out for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him, 
He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered, and it came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in those days, <clears throat> in the days of the census, and drew away many people after him. And he also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. The wise old Pharisee, the wise old teacher Gamaliel, it truly reflects, truly reflects the wisdom that God had given him. Keep away from these men. Keep away. Because if it's of man, it's just going to fail. But if it is of God, do you really want to fight against God? It's incredible. And we know that Gamaliel would have passed this wisdom along to Paul. I'm sure that most here and most listening have probably heard the old saying, don't judge someone till you've walked a mile in their shoe. Now, I know some of the younger people may not have ever heard that saying, but most of us that are well advanced in years have heard that, right? The old admonition, to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. And it's truly a wonderful saying because it reminds us to practice a little empathy before we are too quick to judge someone, right? And I know that we're not talking about judging today, but there is a principle found in this old saying that don't judge someone until you've walked in their shoes that can be very helpful in our ministry, in our testimony, in our sharing with others. And I'm going to use another example that really isn't tied to this, but it, yet it can be. Most of us, I'm sure, are familiar with, it, with this and or know someone that has had cancer or maybe even been that person. And we know that when someone hears that dreaded news that you have cancer, that they're devastated. They're devastated, they're shocked, they're depressed, they're overwhelmed with all the thoughts that are flooding their minds, flooding their hearts. First thing they're going to think is, can I survive this? Can I survive all the treatments? Can I survive all that my body's going to have to go through? Am I going to die? So many fears going through their... <clears throat> Shouldn't look that way, right? So many fears going through their minds. But medical experts know that one thing that can truly help that person that has received that dreaded news is to hear the testimony of someone that has fought the same battle and won. Am I right? To hear that testimony of that one that has fought the same, I had the same cancer that you did. And yes, it was a battle, but you can beat it. I beat it, and you can beat it too. It'll give them hope. It'll give them encouragement to hear the stories, to hear the testimony. It'll inspire them in their own battle. But for someone that has not experienced it, to walk up to that person and pat them on the shoulder and say, oh honey, it's going to be okay. I know you'll get through this. It doesn't bear the same weight as that person that has walked in their shoes, that has experienced it. 
Spiritually speaking, the same principle applies. We know a man that, actually I think we had him here many years ago, named Carlos Reyes. This man, when he was a young man, or I'm not sure how old he was, teenager into his young adult life, he got mixed up with drugs and alcohol and in gangs and, and all kinds of things that he shouldn't have gotten into. But the Lord delivered him from that. Set him free from that. Broke those chains that bound him. This man has a tremendous testimony. Testimony of what the Lord can do is an amazing testimony to hear. Set him free. And he is a great witness to young people that may be in that lifestyle or thinking about that lifestyle. Testimony that God can set you free. Friends, we all have a testimony. What does a testimony look like? What should it look like? It doesn't need to be real long. It can be short and to the point. Don't make our witness longer than it needs to be. Don't make our personal testimony longer than it needs to be. There's a testimony of a man found in John chapter 9. A man that was blind from birth. Jesus touched him. Gave him his sight. He's going around telling everybody how wonderful Jesus is. He, he, he could see. Well, the religious leaders drug him in there and they're telling him Jesus has a demon. He's evil. He's wicked. John 9.25 <clears throat> He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. That's what Jesus did for that man. I was blind and now I see. Your testimony can be that short. Our testimony needs to be up to date. It doesn't hurt to tell what God did for us in the past. Yes, 35 years ago He saved me. But it needs to be up to date. What's He doing for you now, today? Because He is alive and well. He's not just the Lord of the past. He is the Lord of the present. Luke 10, 8 and 9. Whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, heal the sick there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Ever present. That can be part of our testimony. The kingdom of God has come near you. He is with me today. The same message we said every day. That God is alive. He is near you. He is with us. So let's be honest and let's be realistic with one another. Most believers do not have such a dramatic conversion as the Apostle Paul's. Most of us weren't walking down the road one day and some tremendous light blinded us and put us on our faces on the ground. Most of us didn't hear that audible voice from heaven. It's not that dramatic, was it? Most of us may not have had the conversion like Carlos Reyes. Most of us probably weren't involved in drugs and alcohol and all those things, all manner of evil. But most people hearing this message probably lived a pretty normal life. Probably a pretty good person, right? An average kind of person. An average Joe or an average Susie, whatever you want to say. Pretty good person. 
right? You haven't, most here probably haven't killed anybody, right? I mean, we're talking about that this morning in Sabbath school. <laughs> Go out and kill six people, right? But most here probably haven't killed anybody, probably haven't lived an extremely wicked life. Most were probably pretty good people. Like me, I was a pretty good, pretty average person. I don't think I was ever suspended from school. I might have had to stay after late one day. Uh, I only remember giving in, getting in about two little scuffles in school with, you know, friends, but you know how kids can be. I was a pretty good kid. But back when we went to school, the teachers had these things, they was wooden things. Some of them were about this long. They were varied in sizes and about that wide and some of them were about that thick. And they were called a paddle. Kids today don't know what that is. They were called a paddle. And they were allowed to use those things. Imagine that. They were allowed to use those things on the kids if they got out of line at school. You were bad. He brought you up in front of the class and whack. Without, I had a couple of those, not too many. I did have a couple of those. Because, you know, when the teacher leaves the room, kids get rowdy. And I get rowdy right along with them. So when you get teacher comes back, all right, line up. You know, you're going to get that paddling. But I still thought I was a pretty good kid. You know, I might have strayed a little bit in my young adult life, some drinking and some things, but a pretty good person, as I thought of myself, right? as most people probably do. I'm a pretty good person. Well, I'll tell you what. The devil wants you to think you're pretty good. The devil wants you to think that all good people go to heaven. But friends, that is just not true. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. So kind of Sabbath school confirmed the message today. Whether you just steal a little something or you go out there and murder six, murder six people, it is both sin. It is both sin. We all know it. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Romans 3.23. So that little sin, that stealing or that whatever it may be, is just as bad as those that go out and murder. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. That average Joe, that pretty good person, is just as lost as the worst sinners among us today. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden your face, hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. Friends, those who are saved, all who are saved can say, this can be part of your testimony. I don't know what a sinner you are, but I know what a Savior He is. I don't know where your feet have taken you, but His have climbed Mount Calvary's hill. I don't know what kind of words you have spoken, but His have says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I don't know what a sinner you are, but friends, I know what a Savior He is. This I know, that if you have repented of your sins and received Christ as your Savior, you have a story to tell. You have a witness. 
Take time to remember the excitement that filled your heart when you first believed. Remember how hungry you were for Him when you first believed. Remember how hungry you was for that Word. Remember that first love. We were even talking about that last week in Bible study. Remember that first love. And though your faith story may not be as exciting as some people's, it is still your testimony of what God has done for you. Our testimony must be Christ-centered though. It's not about us. It's about what He has done for us and in us. Romans 5, 1 and 2 and verses 9 through 11. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How important is that? That we know that. That we are justified by faith and that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In verse 9, Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have, we have now received the reconciliation. I was reading in Oswald Chambers this week. I actually shared it at uh, our little Bible study and prayer time Wednesday morning. So it was Oswald Chambers on, verse, yeah, on October 28th. And he, this, I just want to read what he says. And it's called Justification by Faith. He says, I am not saved by believing. I realize I am saved by believing. It is not repentance that saved me. Repentance is a sign that I realize what God has done in Christ Jesus. The danger is to put the emphasis on the effect instead of the cause. It is my obedience that puts me right with God. My consecration, never. It says, I am put right with God because prior to all... Christ died. When I turn to God and by belief accept what God reveals, I can accept instantly the stupendous atonement of Jesus Christ rushes into me a right relationship with God. And by the supernatural miracle of God's grace, I stand justified. Not because I am sorry for my sins, not because I have repented, but because of what Jesus has done. The Spirit of God brings it with a breaking all over light, and I know, though I do not know how, that I am saved. I know, I do not know how, but I know that I am saved. The salvation of God does not stand on human logic. It stands on the sacrificial death of Jesus. The sacrificial death of Jesus. We all have a story. We have a testimony to tell to the nations. There's a very old hymn that was, very, it was a very popular missionary hymn among denominational churches in past years. Very typical, typical of the hundreds that were penned to express the determined, dynamic, energetic, expansive attributes of the 19th century Christian missions. However, songs like this have become disliked by many of the modern churches because it implies that salvation can be attained only through hearing the preaching of the gospel of Christ, which, my friends, is the truth. 
We're going to sing this song, but I want to read it to you first, just the stanzas. It says, we, we, yeah, back up and start. Weave a story to, be, to tell the nations. Friends, weave a story to tell the nations that shall turn their hearts to the right. A story of truth and mercy, a story of peace and light. Weave a song to be sung to the nations that shall lift their hearts to the Lord, a song that shall conquer evil and shatter the spear and sword. We have a message to give to the nations that the Lord who reigneth above has sent us His Son to save us and show us that God is love. We have a Savior to show to the nations who the path of sorrow hath trod, that all the world's great people might come to the truth of God. Friends, we have a story to tell. Friends, it is God's desire. It is God's desire. 1 Timothy, it will not be up there, 2, 1 through 4. Therefore I exert, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is a good and acceptable yeah, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It is God's desire that all men come to the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of His Son Jesus Christ, the knowledge that we are sinners, that we need to repent and believe on Jesus Christ. I don't care what your story is, but you have a story. It may not be dramatic, but if Jesus Christ has saved you, you have a story to tell someone else. Don't be afraid to share that story. Because just one word spoken can bring glory and honor to Him. It might save that lost soul. That we might save some. That they would come to Jesus.